Mike, one of the pastors here. If I didn't get a chance to say good day to you on the way in, uh, welcome. Uh, thank you to Judas for leading us in prayer and for Brian for reading uh, the passage today. Pretty, pretty kind of heavy passage, hey? Jesus' hard word to us this morning. Uh, please keep your Bibles open. We're going to be digging into that in just a moment. But I thought I'd begin with a bit of a quick question on to kick things off. I wonder, um, have you had or ever had any fears? Any fears? I certainly have. In fact, growing up, certain fears really drove the way that I approached certain things. So, for example, my fear of failing tests. See, at school, this may surprise you, but at school I didn't always listen in class. Uh, but whenever a teacher spoke about an upcoming test, okay, my ears would like prick up. I would pay close attention, I would take really careful notes of what they said, and then I'd carefully prepare for the test. Why? Because for me, the thought of not being able to answer the questions, the thought of failing, it really scared me. And, and that's why, I don't know about you, but that's why I hate pop quizzes so much. Because the pop quiz just kind of comes up, you never know when it's coming, and you just have to constantly be prepared for them. Now, another one of my fears growing up, uh, and this may surprise you as well, public speaking. The thought of kind of having to give an impromptu speech uh, in front of a group and, and of crashing and burning and being humiliated in front of people, it really scared me. And that's why, and you can talk to my mum about this later, my mum and dad are down here, that's why I did absolutely everything in my power growing up to avoid any form of public speaking. And why even now I'm so careful to prepare so that I am ready uh, every time I get up to speak. Now what about you? Have you got any fears? Uh, maybe fears that you either face okay, by being prepared and ready for when the time of testing comes or fears that maybe you just avoid uh, by hoping that that test will never come. Got any fears? Today, you see, today we turn to life's ultimate test. Okay, the test that will come, that will come, when each of us dies and stands before God to give an account. It's a test that we cannot avoid. It's a test that we cannot do over. It's a test that doesn't just determine like your grade on a paper or you know, your entrance to a university or you know, your confidence to stand up and speak publicly. It's a test that will determine how and where you'll spend eternity. Uh, it's a test that kind of, like a pop quiz, you don't know when it's coming, you just have to be constantly prepared and ready. A test that all of us should be very afraid, actually, of being unprepared for. And so I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that today, uh, like me as a kind of a little kid in class, your ears will prick up. You know, you'll pay close attention to Jesus' words to us here this morning and, and that you'll ensure that you are carefully and uh, prepared and ready for this test uh, when it comes. Now, you know, tragically, many people today in our kind of culture just, just flat out reject or avoid the idea that, you know, death is going to bring us before God to be judged. Many people just avoid it, they reject it, they give little, if any, thought to their eternal destiny. Um, they simply assume that everyone's innocent before God and that, and that while early and untimely deaths are tragic, they're tragic because of what the deceased has missed out on here in this world. That's the way many people see. 
But that's not how people saw things back in the ancient world because, you see, back then, the reason early and unexpected deaths were seen as so you know, shocking and tragic is that people believed that death catapulted you into the presence of God without time to prepare. So if something really terrible happened to you, people just assumed that you must have done something really bad to deserve that. And I mean, tragedies, they happen all the time in this world, don't they? Tragedies are just constantly happening in this world, from smaller scale tragedies to you know, a young person dying in a, in a, in a fatal car crash, or, or to larger, huge scale tragedies, like 3,000 dying in New York when towers are hit by terrorists, or 74,000 dying in an earthquake in Kashmir, or 230,000 dying in a tsunami in Southeast Asia. Tragedies happen. And when a terrible tragedy happens, often we want to know, why? Why? You know, or who's to blame? Maybe a particular person's responsible. Look for someone to blame. Maybe the system failed. Or maybe our leaders, those in authorities are at fault. Or maybe we'll go even further up the chain and we'll blame God. God, where were you? You know, God, what did they do to deserve that? God, do you really care? You know, maybe you've had those kinds of questions yourself. And they're not new questions, you see. People have always had them. And fortunately for us, in today's passage, Jesus answers some of them for us. So, so let's dig into what Jesus has to say here. I'm, not, I'm actually not going to be using the screen at all this morning, okay? So I'd love it if you had your Bibles open uh, to Luke. 13, we're looking at verses 1 to 9. So we're going to work our way through from verse 1. Let's, let's get stuck into it. Now there, was some, now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Okay, now what's all that about? Well, Galilee's in the north. Okay, Jerusalem's in the south where the temple was. And many Jews travelled from Galilee to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. Now they're offering sacrifices, they're cutting the throats of various animals to to pour out their blood in sacrifice. But then Pilate, the, the Roman governor of that region, he orders his soldiers to cut the throats of these Galileans. And so horrifically they're slaughtered in the temple and their bloods mingled with the blood of the sacrifices. It's, it's just shocking. It'd be, like, it'd be like people coming in here today and killing some of us during the Lord's Supper. Well, we're not having the Lord's Supper this morning, but it'd be like that. We're having the Lord's Supper, people come in, kill some of us, and after cutting our throats, filling the, the communion cups with our blood. Like, it is, it is horrendous. It is, it's just a shocking and a terrible thing. And so, understandably, it raised big questions for people back then. And why did they suffer like that? Why had God allowed them to go through something so horrible? What had they done for that to happen? And you see, Jesus, he knows exactly why these people had raised this question. So look with me at verse 2. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? He says, I tell you, no. But, 
speaking to the people who are asking, unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then Jesus goes on to actually mention another tragedy that had also happened in his day. From verse 4 he says, all those 18 who died in the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Okay, referring to a, a freak accident in Jerusalem when maybe a strong wind or a storm had knocked the tower down and 18 people had died. He says, Jesus says, he says, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? His answer, he says, I tell you no. And speaking to the people before him, he says, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now, this is heavy, okay? A couple of things to notice here though. Firstly, notice that Jesus doesn't actually comment on these particular tragedies that had happened in his day. He doesn't comment on those. Instead, he gets up close and super personal with those that are asking the questions. Okay? What he does is he uses these tragedies to confront these people with their own need to avoid an even greater tragedy. The tragedy of being unprepared for their own meeting with God. You see? Now notice secondly, that Jesus kind of deflects the implied question here about you know, the degree of sin in those who had suffered and he deflects that to the real question being the presence of sin. He's, you know, were those who died in, those, in these tragic events, were they worse sinners? Jesus says no. But were they good people? You know, were they righteous and innocent people? No. You see, although Jesus is saying they weren't more sinful, they're just as sinful. They're just as sinful as you and me. And so an implication from Jesus here is, don't be amazed that these people suffered like that. Don't be amazed at that. Be amazed that you haven't suffered like that. Um, and, and that we should... That we should, what should amaze us really in, in our sin is not that some people are taken from this world suddenly. What should amaze us is that God is so patient with us. You know, that, that you and I are all kind of sitting here this morning with yet another chance to repent. I mean, so often in our world, so often people ask this question. Just finish this, finish this statement for me. Um, why do bad things happen to good people? It's a common phrase, isn't it? Why do bad things happen to good people? But what I take, you see, from what Jesus is saying here, because you see the assumption, the assumption of our world really is that, is that people are good. People are good and so we are absolutely horrified that God would allow terrible things to happen to good people. But as I was about to say, what I, what I take from what Jesus is saying here is what's really amazing, what's really astonishing is that good things happen to bad people. You know, that, that you and I, guilty as we are before God in our sin, haven't suffered the way some others have. You know, that you and I, that we still live and breathe as God graciously continues to bear with us. But people in our culture, in our world, they don't think like that, do they? Why? Because, you see, humans have a very hard time understanding sin. You know, its depth, 
and its seriousness before God. And so you see, Jesus uses these questions about these terrible tragedies to remind us that life is fragile, you know, that, that we are here on earth temporarily, uh, that each of us is sinful, uh, that a great test actually is coming, you know, when we will stand before God to face his judgment. And so Jesus warns us to be prepared and ready. And, you know, Jesus doesn't mix his, he doesn't mince his words at all. Jesus simply says, repent or perish. Repent or perish. Now, what does that mean? Well, to repent simply means to turn around, you know, to have a, a change of mind and attitude towards God. It means to, to start trusting Jesus as your saviour and to start following Jesus as your king. And so what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, do that, do that, repent. Turn to God, trust and follow in me. All the alternatives, you'll perish. Which doesn't just mean you'll die, because we're all going to die. Perishing, it's about being judged by God for your sin after you die. Perishing, it's the alternative to having everlasting life. Read John 3.16. Perishing's the opposite to being saved through the cross of Christ. You know, read 1 Corinthians 1. Perishing's the eternal punishment that Jesus speaks about in, in Matthew 25. Now, yeah, it's, it's not easy to get up here and kind of speak so firmly, but these are Jesus' words. And, you know, I am fully aware, fully aware, that some people just really don't want to hear this message. You know, I'm fully aware that some people just do not want to believe that there's a hell. And that many other people just don't want to think about it now. Just not now. But you see, that is exactly why Jesus is giving us this very strong warning. That is why we have this passage here in Luke 13. Because whether, you see, whether you believe it or not, whether you believe it or not, death and the coming judgment, they are a reality. You just don't know how much longer God's going to give you to prepare and to be ready for it. And so Jesus' word to each of us today is if we haven't already repent while well, there's still time. And he goes on to talk about this time aspect next. Look with me from verse 6. Then Jesus told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, for three years, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Okay, what's, what's this kind of all about? Well, it's a picture of God looking for fruit in the lives of his people. The fruit of repentance that John the Baptist spoke about. You see, the Old Testament, um, God's people are often referred to as a vineyard or a fig tree. Often they're referred to that way. And, and, and what, does God people, what does God want from them? He wants fruit. And prophets like Micah and others in the Old Testament, they warn of God coming to visit his people and to call them to account. Back in Luke chapter 12, just a chapter back from where we are, Jesus spoke of there being two kinds of servants. Those who are ready for the Master's return 
and those who are not ready. Well, when Jesus the Master turns up and he's, and he's here, okay, he's there, he's there walking around, he's, he's inspecting and he's, he's kind of checking out the vineyard, the fig tree. What does he find in Israel? Well, he finds a heck of a lot of leaves. You know, he finds lots of religion. But he doesn't find much fruit. You know, he doesn't find people loving God and loving one another very much. And so after three years of Jesus being there preaching and teaching, he now issues this very strong and stark warning to the nation of Israel saying, look, you've had enough time. Bear fruit now or be cut down. The man that's tending the vineyard though, he convinces him to just wait just that little bit longer. Check out verse 8. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for just one more year. You know, I'll dig around it, I'll fertilise it. If it, bear, if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. In other words, he's saying, look, just give it one last chance. You know, one more year. And, you know, that's just what God did. Because God gave Israel another very long year. You know, he gave them time to repent even after they'd killed his son Jesus whose disciples, Jesus' disciples, went out and held out Jesus' message of repentance and forgiveness in his name to Israel for the next 40 years. Some Israelites, Jews, repented, became Christians. Many didn't. And then what did God do? He chopped down the tree. How well? He sent the Romans against Israel in AD 70. The temple was burned down. The Israelites were booted out of the promised land. And no longer is Israel at the centre of God's purposes the way they were in the Old Testament. You see, now it's, now it's about not being connected to Abraham. Now it's about being connected to Jesus. Now, so, look, what about us? You know, let's get nitty-gritty for us. How does this relate to each of us here this morning? Well, actually, you know, it relates in much the same way as it did back then because... We are also living in a time of God's patience. You know, we're also in a situation where we don't know how long this day is going to last. And 2 Peter 3 says this, it says, With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. So, what kind of people ought you to be like? You ought to live holy and godly lives. That's 2 Peter 3. And you see, the basic point of all of this is, whatever you do, don't mistake God's patience for indifference. Don't mistake God's patience for approval because the clock is ticking. Uh, God's patience, is, it's one day it's going to wear out. It's not going to last forever. A time is coming when it's going to be too late to repent. You know, where the, if there's been no repentance, there'll be no salvation. And, and sudden tragedies, which, which this passage highlights, remind us, don't they, that that could be any time for any of us. And so we're to respond now. Where to respond now while we can. Repent or perish, 
bear fruit or cut down or be cut down. Now, yeah, you, many of you may be sitting there this morning thinking, "Man, this 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 ain't a real warm and comforting and inspiring message this morning," <laughs> you know, and, and 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 maybe that's right. That's the case. Because Jesus, you see, he tells us what we need to hear. Jesus, he confronts us at times with some very hard truths. Why? Well, not because he's harsh or cruel. Not at all. He does that because he's so compassionate and kind. He does that because he cares so much about our sin and our suffering. You see, Jesus is not just a guy... He's not just the guy who kind of stands up and says, repent of sin or perish. No, Jesus is the guy who dies for your sin so that you need not perish. Jesus is the God guy. You know, the one who suffers in your place for your sin so that you can rise again with him, freed at last from suffering and sin. Jesus cares, all right. He cares. In fact, Jesus couldn't care any more than he does. And so, friends, if you're here today, if you're sitting here today and you are not a Christian, you know, you may have fears. You may have fears of all different kinds. Maybe you're afraid of failing or of public speaking. Maybe you're afraid of people or other things. And as real as those kind of fears may be for you, Jesus says back in Luke 12, from verse 4, he says this. He says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Strong words. But you see, it's absolutely right to fear God and the coming judgment. Yet to grasp the brevity of our lives, to grasp the depth and depravity of our sin, to grasp the justice and the holiness of Almighty God, to grasp the eternity that awaits us beyond the grave, and grasping those things, then be fearfully and thankfully driven to the Saviour. And so, friends, if you haven't been driven to the Saviour, then I want to say, don't avoid that right fear by hoping that the test will never come. You know, face that fear by repenting, by being prepared and ready for when that test comes. And if you're here this morning and you're already a Christian, I know that's many, most of us, I want to I comfort you with this incredible and wonderful fact that you have nothing to fear. You have absolutely nothing to fear. You truly don't. But I also want to challenge you this morning to ask yourself an important question. That question being, am I bearing fruit? Am I bearing fruit? Because you see, that's what God is looking for in the lives of people who say that they trust and follow Jesus. You know, he's not, he's not looking for leaves of religious activity. 
He's looking for fruit in the lives of his people. You know, the fruit of repentance. The fruit that comes from abiding in the vine of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of a godly life. The fruit of serving, you know, with the gifts that God's given you. The fruit of helping others to to know Jesus and to grow in Jesus and to show Jesus to those around. The question we need to ask ourselves and pray over is, am I bearing fruit? Let's be people who, filled with God's Spirit, are bearing fruit. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Let's pray to our great God. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you for this word of warning to each of us this morning. Help those of us, we pray, who haven't already to repent of our sin and to trust in Jesus, the Saviour. And help those of us who already have and who follow Jesus and have repented to, to bear fruit, to bear fruit, and so bring you glory. And we pray it all in Jesus' powerful and precious and beautiful and majestic name. Amen.